Father, as we come to look into your word today, we ask that you would just speak to us once more through your Holy Spirit. Lord, you know what you want to say to each one of us today. Lord, speak into our minds, into our hearts. Speak your word of truth to us. For we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Has any of you made any New Year's resolutions? Anybody? Miserable, aren't you? I always think it's kind of pointless, New Year's resolutions, personally, don't you? Because like, I just think, if there's something worth changing, I should change it anyway. Why, why do it just for a month and then go back to my old bad habits afterwards? You know, so if it's kind of worse, so I don't really do that anyway, but I read some possible ones that you might like to consider here if you're thinking of New Year's resolutions. How about this? That you stop drinking orange juice after you brush your teeth. You ever done that? It's, it's horrible, isn't it? It's the worst combination in the world. Maybe this is something I should do. Spend less than a thousand pounds on coffee at Starbucks or Costa's this year. It soon adds up, doesn't it? That, that's the problem when you've got these digital things on your phone. You just keep topping it and you don't realize how much you spend, I think. Lose weight by hiding it somewhere that you can never find it. How about that one? The other one I like is lose weight by finding some more accurate scales than the ones you've got at home. Lower my costs of purchasing new things by borrowing things off of other people and then forgetting to return them. How about finishing all those DIY projects that you were planning on doing last year and never quite got finished? So many things we could do. But I'd just like us to think together for one last Sunday on the passage that we've been looking at last year. But as we do so, think about if I was to make a resolution with God today for this coming year, what would it be? If you were to say to God, there's one thing that I want to do differently this year. There's one, one area of my life that I want to change or I want to improve on. Oh, Lord, help me in this area. What would it be for you this year? Maybe, why don't you share with someone near to you what it might be for you? If there's one thing this year in your relationship with God, what would it be? You know, uh, we've been looking together, haven't we, about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think if we were to ask God what he would want of us this year, my feeling is that it would be that we grow in our discipleship with him, that I, that I become more of a disciple of Jesus Christ than I am right now. Wherever I am right now in my standing with God, wherever I happen to be, that by the end of this year, I will have moved and deepened that relationship with him in some way. That I might be more of what it means to be a real disciple of Christ, rather than just kind of floating along through life. We've been looking that Jesus gave us one command when he left. He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Or really it means having gone, or wherever you happen to be, disciple nations, disciple people. Wherever you are, 
Right now, you're sitting here, disciple people. When you're at work, disciple people. When you're at home, disciple people. When you're in the shops, disciple people. When you're sitting in the gym pretending to get fit, but you're really just lying there in a jacuzzi thinking about it, disciple people, right? Wherever you happen to be, when you go on holiday, disciple people. When, when you're having coffee, disciple people. He says, wherever you happen to be, just disciple. Be a disciple make a disciple. And we've been looking at what that means. We said that really that was Jesus' message, right? He sent people out to go make disciples. Right from the start of his ministry, Jesus came and he said, I'm going to live what it means to be a disciple, to show you through my life what it really looks like. But I'm also going to train up people to go and disciple others as well. So that you don't just see it in Christ, you see it in Christ's followers. And we've been saying, well, what does that really look like? And this year we're going to, after today and next Sunday when we're not here, but then when we're back, we're going to start looking in Mark's gospel. We're going to go through Mark's gospel together and see what it looks like in Jesus. But we've been looking at what it looked like in those early disciples. And we've been studying this passage from Acts And we kind of have taken it apart, haven't we, bit by bit, and said, this is what, let's look at the different aspects. But today, in a summary, I want to just look at it as one total, okay? What does it really mean? It says this, they devoted, let's read together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, if we were to summarize all that, if we were to try and capture today in a nutshell what it really means to be a disciple, I think it would mean this. Firstly, I think there are two aspects to it. Firstly, there's an internal aspect. There's there's an aspect that it means about what I, who I am as a disciple of Christ, right? It's not just about what I do. Part of it is about who I am. It's about me being a disciple. It's an internal thing. And the Bible says, as we've looked at before, it really comes down to being devoted. Now, when you're devoted to something, what does that mean? It means that you're focused on it. You spend time and energy and it becomes a priority in your life, right? I tell my wife I'm devoted to her. That means that she's a priority in my life. That means when I have a choice between, you know, watching football on television and spending time with my wife. No, that's not a good example, is it? But you know what I'm saying, right? There are things that I don't do because my wife is a priority. There are things I do do because my wife is a priority, right? I'm devoted to her. So I think about it. I think about our relationship. I think about how it can improve. I think about the ways in which we can continue to grow closer and closer together over the years. That's what it means to be devoted. You do that with your children as well, right? 
I'm devoted to my sons. And that means we, we make time for one another. So when, when Michael's coming through Harrow and he says, Daddy, you got space for coffee? I tell everybody in the office, not that I'm doing a pastoral visit. I say, guys, I'm going for coffee with my son. Why? Because it's important to me and I want them to know how important my son is and I'll carve out time to go and have coffee with him because it's a priority in my life, right? Because I'm devoted to my sons. Be devoted, the word says. Be devoted to God. How? There were four things. Do you remember? You just read them. Number one, be devoted to the word of God, to the apostles' teaching, right? Firstly, it says be devoted to the word of God. What does that mean? That means that we actually look at the word of God this year and say, you know what, Lord, I want to read your word. Many of us are quite lazy, I guess is the word, when it comes to reading the Word of God, right? Many of us come to church on Sunday and we say, Pastor David, fill me up for the week, right? And, and that's about the only bit of the Word of God we get. We come to church to get the Word of God and then the rest of the week we just, like a battery, let it drip down until we get to empty and then... David, it better be good next Sunday because I need a big top-up again, right? And we, and we just, that's lazy, isn't it? That, that's, that's like me and my piano lessons when I was a kid, right? Finally, my piano teacher said, David, there's just no point. She had that terrible conversation. I think your parents are wasting their money with you because I just wouldn't practice, right? I was the five-minute-before-the-lesson kind of practice just to see if I could improve somewhat. And, and, and my piano teacher had this insight into my lack of practice. David, you haven't practiced this week, have you? No, miss. You know when you're a little boy and no, miss. You know, and you're never going to improve if you don't practice. And then finally, after a number of years, she said, David, there's just no point. You could do it, but you're not putting the time and the, right? You're not practicing. You're not devoted. You know, it was, a, it was a battle between me and my mother every night. Have you done your playing? No. I'll, I'll do it later. I'll do it. I'll do it. But there was not that. And so we need to be devoted to the Word of God. We need to make decisions about how we're going to study the Word of God so that it may enrich us and help us to grow. You know, there's an easy... Pastors find it. It's, it's, it's interesting. They've done research with pastors. Pastors find it quite hard to study the Word of God. You know that? Because, you, may, you know, it's easy for me to study it to put a sermon together. Because I have to do that as my job, right? But then to do it for me... Well, I, well, I'm doing it, God, because I have to do it to put sermons and Bible studies and this and that together. But that's not what it's talking about. It's like saying, be devoted. David, you need to study it so that I can speak to you as well as allowing you to, to speak to other people. Don't just do it because it's your job. Do it because, it, because when we study the Word of God, it brings transformation into our lives. This is the character of God, right? You want to know what God is like? Look in his word. 
And the more we, we study, the more we read about the character of God, the more the character of God becomes part of who I am. Let, let me ask you a question. How many of you remember a particular scene in a movie that you saw like years ago? That you can picture it right now. Right? It could be any movie, but it's in there, right? You might not remember the whole movie, but you remember the scene. Notting Hill. It's one of them. Julia Roberts standing there before Hugh What's-His-Face. Right? Standing there with his painting saying, I'm just a girl asking a boy to love him. I can picture it, right? Why? Because it spoke into my life and my heart just touched something when I saw it the first time. And I just went, oh. And it's Julia Roberts, but that's a different story. Right? But there are moments in films that just connect into you. And you can remember them, right? I can't remember much of the rest of the film, but that bit. Forrest Gump, remember the whole film, right? But there are bits in why, because they, they speak into you. And when you read the word of God, it's, it's like those, those things come into you. The Spirit takes these words and these stories and, and it changes you, it, it touches you, it makes you, it transforms you to be more like Christ. That's why we need to consistently be in the Word of God. Because that's the way we can grow and be transformed. You know it's true like in school, right? When, when you're in school, what do they do? They don't just dump everything in the first lesson and they say, there you go, I've told you everything I need, you need to know. What do they do? They, they train you and they teach you and you gradually grow in it. As I said in the early service, I remember going into the classroom when I, I first hit secondary school. And we just been, we went into this classroom and on the blackboard, as it was in those days, right? There was all this calculus. So there's obviously a maths class in there, the, the class before us. And calculus looks like some foreign language, doesn't it? It's all these squiggles and S's and little numbers. And, and I just looked at it and I just went, I don't even know what that means. Where do you begin with that? Like, that's just like a foreign language. They may as well be talking you know, talking Dutch, for all I know, right? And, and I went there and I, and I just thought, I, I'm never going to be able to learn that. I'll never get to that level. And what happens? Well, they take you step by step by step. And after three or four years, you're the one sitting in the class doing the calculus. Because they've taken you on that journey. And when we read the Word of God, that's what God does for us with His Spirit. He takes us on that journey to be transformed by Him. Secondly, fellowship. Okay, everybody stand up, please. Turn around, take a look at one another. Take a hard stare at each other. Don't look at me. Turn around. Look at each other. Not, not just your wife or your husband. Look at everybody else, right? Have a good stare. Go up to them. Stare at them. Peer, you know. Give them a good eye. Go on. Walk. Walk. Come on. Do it. Out of your chairs. Go around and go stare at some people. Right? Give them a smile. Shake them by the hand if you want to. Right? Give them a good stare. 
Fellowship is what? Fellowship is knowing one another, right? We are the family of God together, which means what? It means we need to know one another. Right? How many of you know everybody's names here? None of you, because I don't. And even if I do, I can't remember them half the time, right? But more than that, how many of you know where people work or what they do for a living or what they did for a living? How many of you know what their challenges are that are coming up in their life? How many of you know, would know what to pray for one another here about? How many of you know what the joys are in their lives? Right? That's, that's fellowship, right? Fellowship is when you, when, you can, when you bring Mike to mind here and you go, you know what, I know, I know enough about Mike that I can sit on my knees before God and I can, I can pray for, not just, Lord, please bless Mike, but I can actually say, Lord, this is what's challenging Mike right now. So please... This is where the joys are in Mike's life. Thank you for this. That's fellowship, right? That's, that's when you know someone. Or I could say, James, I know, I know what James's struggles are right now. I know what his joys are right now. I know how God has blessed him recently. Thank you for that, Lord. I know about his children and what they're doing, right? I know enough to be able to be on my knees before God and to say, hey, I'm just going to bring to you James because that's fellowship. And we have a responsibility in the kingdom of God to do that to one another. Right? Which means what? We have to communicate with each other. So when we go for coffee after the service, we've got a good chance to, to sit down and go, you know, Agatha, what's going on? You know, let me share a bit about my life. Well, how are you doing? How was Christmas? How was New Year? You know, How's your, how's your family doing? How's, and we can share with one another. As much as we feel we want to share with each other. But you know what I mean? Like there's no, you have to tell me everything you need to, you know. No. But you know what I'm saying? That we can, we can share and support and encourage one another. What did Jesus say? Or, or what does the word say in Galatians 6.2? Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. The law Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? How, how can I bear Agatha's burdens if I don't know what they are? And I think it's a bit of a cop-out just to say, Lord, you know. Yes, he does. But the word says that I should know too. And one of the great things about that early church was the unity they had because they, they spent time together, they shared together. They knew enough to know how to lift one another up in prayer and to support and encourage each other. And that's what we need to be, right? That's what it is to be a church. Jesus knew that with his disciples and Jesus even shared with his disciples, didn't he? Hey, pray for me, guys. This is going to get tough. The road's going to be rocky. I need your support. Pray for me. We need to be doing that with one another. Every Sunday is an opportunity to come and to fellowship. And if we don't do that, what are we doing? Well, really, we're sinning, aren't we? 
We're actually saying, God, I'm not going to do what you've asked me to do. If, if I come on Sunday and I just get together with the people that I know really well and just talk to them because it's safe and, I, and I, I see somebody out the corner of my eye that I have an opportunity to go and talk to but I don't do it, what am I doing? I'm just saying, Lord, forget what you said. It's more comfortable for me just to do what I want. And we're all guilty of that, right? All of us. But we need to work devoted to learning about one another, sharing about, not judging each other, not, not gossiping about each other, but gen, genuinely saying, you know what? God's brought you here and brought me here to journey together. So let's support and encourage each other. Let's just do that. Thirdly, ooh, worship. Be devoted to worship. What's your favorite hymn, Mike? Put you on the spot. Jesus is our King. How does that go? Say it. Alleluia, alleluia, opening our hearts to Him. Sing alleluia, alleluia, Jesus is our King. And so it goes on. Awesome. Great job. Everybody else has got their heads down going like, don't ask me to sing. It's the one you can, do you want to give us a demonstration on the piano there? Yeah. Oh, okay. But it's like, what I'm saying, when you're devoted to worship, what does it mean? It means that you've got worship in your heart, right? You wake up in the morning and what do you do? You start singing. Right? Your favorite song. So you wake up in the morning, hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus is my king, right? Or our king. That you start singing. When, you, when you're going about your daily business, you're singing. When you're in the shower in the morning, sing. Right? You, you keep worship is just natural for you. Just keep listening to worship. Keep allowing worship to bubble up within you. So much of our time is so, we're so negative, aren't we, about things. We look at the world around us. You know? We think, oh man, I've got a busy week this week. Oh, I've got this, I've got that. And, and it's so easy to get into that cycle of complaining, but you can't complain when you're singing praises, right? When you're singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Or when we were singing hosanna, hosanna, right? Today. What does it do? It lifts your spirit. It lifts who you are, doesn't it? Why do we sing in church? So that Phil's got a job? No. He's there to encourage us because it, it lifts our spirits to connect with God's spirit. And that's what worship does. And when you have a devotion to worship, it means that all the time you're just, you're just singing. You're just praising God. Isn't God worthy of our praises? Not just on a Sunday, but all the time? Thank you, God. Praise God, sir. You know, then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. I didn't hear anything. How great thou art, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Now what's just happened in your spirit? Right? Some of you had your eyes closed and the head was going and right? 
Why? Because your spirit was just lifted. That's what it means to be devoted to worship. That that you just have that within you. Just keep it going, right? Listen to worship music. Have it within your spirit. Day and night, just keep worshiping. Wherever you can, just just sing praises to God because he's worthy, right? Of our praise and our adoration. And lastly, pray. Pray. Pray meaning not just when you need something. What would be the kind of relationship that you have if, if, if all you ever do is go when you need something to someone? It's not much of a relationship. If my children just came to me, Dad, I need some more money. Dad, I need this. Dad, I need this. Dad, I need this. It's like, I'm just a bank here. Like, what's going on, right? That's what I do when I go to the bank. Because, you know, I can't remember the last time when I put anything in there. It's generally always taking it out, isn't it? It's like, oh, I need more, I need more. Right? So it's, Mother Teresa said these words. She said, Prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. It's good, isn't it? Putting ourselves into his hands. That's what you do when you pray. It's not just saying, Father, I need help with this. It's, Father, I just want to put myself into your hands. Father, here I am. Just take me. Take me as I am, I can come no other way, right? It's just putting yourself there. And be devoted to pray. Pray all the time. Philippians says, pray without ceasing. Just keep on praying. Why? Because I I keep having to put myself into God's hands, right? I don't always need something from God, but I always need to keep putting myself into his hands, saying, Lord, just hold me. Lord, just keep me in the palm of your hand. Lord, I just want to stay there with you. Pray. Those four things. And secondly, it's about being consistent. Consistency. Every day it says they met together, right? It's about doing these things consistently. I've already spoken about that. But about doing it on an ongoing basis. Every day. Every day we read the Word. Every day we think about how can we have fellowship together. Every day I think about, and today when you're talking about fellowship, it's a lot easier, right? I can text someone. I could text Agatha and I could say, like, just, just praying for you today. How are you doing? It's simple, right? Two seconds. It's not like I have to kind of write a letter anymore and post it off like it used to be, right? We have so many easy ways that we can fellowship without physically meeting together all the time. It's about being consistent in worship. It's about being consistent in prayer because it's not just about doing it every day. It's about having that long-term view. It's about thinking about how God can grow me and and help me to become a disciple in the long term, not just in the here and now, right? Right? Paul said this in Philippians 3. He said, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining to what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize 
for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You, you get the sense. He's, he's like going, it's not just about today. It's about the future. It's about consistently doing this so that in the future, I will get the prize. In the future, I will grow. I'm investing today for tomorrow. That if I keep on doing this, if I'm consistent in my walk with Jesus Christ, if I do those four things on a consistent basis, I know because God has promised that I will grow as a disciple in Christ. And I'm looking for that long-term growth that keeps me growing, that keeps me developing in my relationship with Him. I might not see immediate change and immediate results, but I know they're coming because I'm pressing on towards the goal, as Paul said. So it's about internal, but it's also about the external. It's about me in myself, but it's also about what I do. Jesus said, make disciples. Now, what does that really mean in a nutshell? What does it mean to make a disciple? What am I really talking about? Well, I define it like this. As I've looked through the Gospels of Christ, this is what I think it means. It means pointing people towards a closer relationship with God through Jesus. To be a disciple is to be someone who consistently is doing that. Pointing people towards a closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit, right? Now, how many of you need a closer relationship with God? I hope all of you, right? I do, because I haven't arrived yet. So you must do as well, right? So who needs discipling? Right? We all do. Everybody needs discipling. Now you look at Jesus' life. What did he do? Well, he pointed everybody. He used every opportunity he could to point people towards his heavenly father, didn't he? Think about any story, any encounter you want in the Bible, and that's what Jesus did. The woman at the well, what did he do? She's there getting a bit of water out, and what does he do? He says, hey, I can give you life-giving water so that you'll never have to be thirsty again. And she went, Really? I fancy some of that. And he said, let me tell you about it. What about Nicodemus? What happened with him? He came and he said, what does it mean to be born again? And he goes, well, you don't know? And he goes, well, it doesn't make any sense to me. Let me tell you. And so he pointed him towards the Father, right? Now, he didn't, he didn't sit there and say, now there's, there's 35 things you need to know about the Father, right? These are the core essentials of the Christian faith. Now, I'm going to sit down here and I'm going to stay with you until you've got these sorted. He didn't do that, did he? He didn't even say, you know what, you're so far from knowing God, I'm going to wait here and I'm going to, you have to move the whole way through. No. The woman caught in adultery, what did he do? He stood by her and he said, you know what? You're going to throw a stone at her. You're going to throw, throw a stone at me. You, without sin, cast the first stone. And then what did he say to her? No one's left. If they don't condemn you, then neither do I. And I'll go sin no more. What did he, do? he gave her a new start, right? 
Or sometimes it's hard words. Do you remember the rich young ruler that came? And he said, go sell everything and then come follow me. Because sometimes it's hard words. Do you remember Nathan who went to David, the prophet Nathan, in 2 Samuel, when David had committed adultery with Bathsheba? And he said, you know what, I had a dream. And that guy is you. And suddenly David was transformed and challenged and went, oh my days, like God was looking at me. Sometimes it's not always easy words that come, but in every way, it's a pointing towards Jesus, towards God, right? It's saying, I want you to become closer in your relationship with God. That's what it is to be a disciple. So who do you disciple? Well, you disciple everywhere. You disciple everyone. And you're asked to do it all the time. Right? Why? Because everyone needs discipling, don't they? I need discipling. You need discipling. Everybody in Harrow needs discipling. Everybody in London needs discipling. Everybody in Britain and in Europe and in the whole globe needs discipling. Right? Because we never have arrived, no one has ever arrived except Jesus Christ at being fully discipled. So therefore, what does it mean? It means in every opportunity that you have, whether you're at college, whether you're at work, or you're in the home, or you're out shopping, or you're out having a meal with someone, or you're sitting in the hot tub pretending to exercise, or wherever you're doing, you have an opportunity to disciple. And all you do is you say, Lord... You want me to say something here? You want me to do something here? Use me to disciple somebody. Sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes it's just praying quietly for them, even though they don't know you're praying for them. Sometimes it's sitting alongside them. Sometimes it's saying something to them. Sometimes it's offering them something that you just feel led to offer. It could be anything in any way. But it's about being there and being open and being available to help someone move a little bit closer to the Father or at least have an offer of moving closer. Do you see what I'm saying? It's not about jumping them from ground zero up to being sainthood. It's just about saying, in every opportunity, God, use me to speak through my mouth or my hands or my eyes or my whatever use me to help them to get a little bit closer to the father that's what it is to be a disciple of christ so it's really simple isn't it and it's really complicated because i can't you can't ever tick it off and say you know what i've been a great disciple today because how many people have you met in the day Hundreds, probably. And how many opportunities in the day have you used or have you just been like, I've got to get my stuff done, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Lord, I haven't got any time for this. It's about saying, Lord, whatever you want me to do, just, just flow through me today. Use me in these situations with these people. Help me to always point people towards a closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ.
And so we disciple one another. We allow others to disciple us. And we are a disciple for God's benefit. You see why I think we should make that a New Year's resolution? Lord, help me to grow in my discipleship this year. Help me to be a disciple. Wherever you send me, wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, may I be a disciple for your blessing and for your glory. Jesus gave us the command, the great commandment, love. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor. Being and making disciples is the fulfillment of this. Because if I really love you, what's the best that you can have in life? A closer relationship with God, right? More than wealth and health and everything else. The best, the eternal thing that I can give to you or I can at least be a channel of giving to you is a close relationship with God. That's what will last for all eternity. So if I really love you, then that's what I need to give you. If I really love you, then I need to be a disciple. Saying, Lord, use me to love these people, everybody I meet, so that they may grow closer to you. So I would invite you today to make that a resolution. You know, over half of New Year's resolutions don't last. Don't last more than a few weeks. People make these resolutions and then that's it. They never go anywhere. But I would invite you this year, at the start of this year, to say, Lord, grow me as a disciple. Phil, can you just play for a moment for us, please? And let's just close our eyes. And this is between us, between me and God. You know, being a disciple of Christ is, is such a privilege and a joy. Those moments when the Spirit of God flows through you and you see His love flowing into others and the joy that they experience of, of moving a little bit closer to God, it's something you can't buy. It's, it's something that is just so amazing. So Lord, right now, I want to commit myself to you this year. Lord, make me a disciple of Jesus Christ. Put the people around me that can help me to grow. Lord, use me, flow through me this year 
May it be a regular, a daily thing where I see opportunities to, to just say a word or you just lay something in my heart because I'm just listening to you. And I say something that it's encouraging or I send a text or, or whatever it is. Or maybe just pray for someone or Lord, whatever you want me to do. But use me, flow through me to draw others closer to yourself. And Lord, may it be a resolution that I make, not just today, but every day. When I take up my cross every day and follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus this year. So Lord, I open my heart to you. I open my life to you. Remove any fear that's stopping it from happening. Lord, take away those feelings I have of inadequacy. Because it's not about me, it's about you. as we pray for ourselves so we want to thank you that we have an opportunity to share the bread and the wine together Jesus we can make these prayers because of what you have done for us you have opened the gate of glory you have opened the way to an intimacy with the Father like never before. We're under the new covenant. No longer will anyone say, know the Father because you will all know me from the greatest to the least because you live inside each one of us. It cost you, Jesus, your life. So as we eat today and as we drink, may we not do so lightly, but do so because we are loved by you, cherished by you, adored by you. We thank you and we praise you.